Today, we're going to talk about emotional withdrawing, how to help those of you who are withdrawers, and also how to help those of us who are married to withdrawers. Hey, you're listening to Foreplay Radio for Couples and Sex Therapy with your host, myself, Lori Watson, sex therapist, and George Fowler, expert couples therapist. George and I are counselors, educators, authors, researchers, contributors, and leaders in our field with a collective 50 years of experience working with couples and sex therapy. We're grounded in the best and most scientific research from attachment theory with our emphasis on emotionally focused therapy. Using all we've learned from our clients, our work, and our own lives, we want to have this open, frank, and informative conversation about love and sex to help you and your partner keep it hot. I can already see, Lori, your bias. I don't even like the word withdrawer. I call us protectors. As a recovering withdrawer myself, all right? Language is important. But Language we'll is important. That. Okay. Okay, protectors. So so what do you know about these protectors, George, since you're recovering, right? You know what they say, once a withdrawer, always a withdrawer. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But for me, it's really important to to recognize that there are many different ways of of seeing the world. And uh, my job as a therapist is to hold multiple truths. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about an example of a young couple I saw recently where they're both professionals, too busy. They wake up in the morning, they don't even get a chance to talk to each other, give each other a kiss. They're going to different schools with kids and off to hectic careers. And the wife's at work and she starts to think, wow, you know, What's happening? We're starting to drift mm. apart. We don't get a chance to talk to each other. So what does she do? She takes out her phone and she sends him a text. Of course. You know, just thinking about us, really hoping we get a chance to talk tonight. We got a lot going on. It feels like we're drifting apart a little bit. It'd be really great if we could reignite some passion and you know have a conversation. And you know, So she sends out this text, which just, is a beautiful thing. Just what he wants to get at work. Well, he's at work. Be him for a second, right? You're busy. You're already multitasking and taking care of what you have to take care of. And you get this text. And the gist of this text is we want to talk tonight. What, what does that feel like for him? It's like the four most horrible words in the English language, right? <laughs> Let's had, talk tonight. He knows it's a good thing and he'll be happy afterwards. But the initial feeling is probably like, Ugh, all right, you know, this is what we have to do. Uh-huh. But now he's put in a position like, what do I do? I need to respond to her, but I really don't have time to get into this stuff. So what does this guy decide to do? He sends her a smiley face back. Right, which is great. I'm responding, but I'm not really needing to get into it because tonight we're going to talk about it. Right, exactly. Okay, I understand that. Except when you're her and you get the smiley face, what does that do to you? <laughs> you're like, this is it? This, this is, is it? all you're going to give me? I poured out my soul. I took a risk. I gave you my heart on a platter. We have to engage. I talked <laughs> right. about how important engagement and tension is to a relationship. And what do I get back? A smiley face. Are you kidding me? So what does she do with that? <laughs> 16 paragraphs long, (laughs) basically telling him this is unacceptable. You promised that you'd work as hard as me. You're not even coming close. You know, Sue Johnson said in her book, it's all about, you know, the partner's ability to stay engaged. And you're not staying engaged. He hasn't, right? She's highlighted key sections and she's done all this work. (laughs) 16 paragraphs of a message that basically he's coming up short and that's not acceptable and they're going to have to deal with it. Uh, And he gets this at work. He gets this at work. Now, what do you do with that one? Yeah. So he's like, oh, my gosh. 16 paragraphs. Oh, you have enough hours in a day to deal with that? Nope. You're going to have to deal with it tonight anyway. Right. So what's the best thing to do? Oh, no. 
compartmentalize, focus on work, and just put that phone away. Oh, no. <laughs> you already feel the old no coming, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's it like for her? Yeah, she's like rejected, right? Rejected. And every time she checks that phone, seeing if he finally texted back, she's getting rejected. And she's getting mad at him. She's getting mad at herself. And it's just building. You can feel this energy starting to spill over. Yeah, she's like, why did I do that? I'm such a fool. I shouldn't have sent this. I have a job he's, too. Why? He's not He's not responding. He doesn't care about me. Right. How I dare I? Right. I married a creep. What's wrong with him? He knows I'm, I'm suffering here. He don't even care. He's not responding. So she goes back and forth between feeling sick and angry at him and angry at herself, probably gets angry right. at her boss, then she goes back to him. I mean, it just goes all over the place. Right. Meanwhile, he's at work compartmentalizing. He's focused on what he needs to do. Yeah. So what does she do? That, that is the blessing of being a withdrawer is well, focus, right? There's a reason half the population does it this way, Lori. <laughs> so finally, she can't take it anymore. What does she do? She calls him. But she's very Ooh. strategic when she calls. She doesn't call it like a random time. She says, I know between 12 and 1230, he has lunch. And that's his sacred time. And, you know, I'll give him 15 minutes to eat this sandwich that I made for him, by the way. Yeah. And then I will call at 1215. <laughs> so I she's, care about this man. I care about this man and I want to have a successful conversation right so at 12.15 at like 12.04 she's looking at that clock she's waiting that energy is just building she wants to call she wants to engage 12.15 here it comes she calls up you be him. That's the cool thing about being a therapist, trying to like walk in both of these worlds, yeah. right? You've just finished the sandwich. You're checking <laughs> the ESPN scores. You got a 15 <laughs> minutes to relax before you get back into the rat race. And here comes the phone call. You can still see him looking down. It's his wife's smiley picture with a song that they like as she calls. Yeah. And what do you think he's going to yeah. do with that? Oh my gosh, he's not going to answer. <laughs> what chance does he have in 15 minutes to deal with all that's going to come his way? Sure. And if he answers that phone, he's probably going to be late to a meeting. It's, he's going to be stressed out. Nothing. He's going to talk about tonight anyway. Like, like what's the pressing issue? Yeah. We're going to have to deal with this tonight. When we'll have time, right? When we have time. After the kids are in bed. After the kids are in and bed. And it's 9.30 and we're exhausted. We'll talk about it So then. you're getting these withdrawals as well. <laughs> He's not trying to hurt her. He just don't want escalation. So he puts that phone away. Right? right. He doesn't answer it. Oh. What does that do to her? So she's just angry, hurt. I mean, this is like confirmation of your worst yeah. fears. You know he's available. He doesn't care about me. And he's not me. responding. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't he, love me. Right. And she's but, seen the end of the relationship, right? I mean, she's it's over. Yeah. Well, why I did think, I marry this guy? He doesn't He doesn't love me. Well, that's what the emotion starts to turn into, this unfairness, this outrage that says, how did I marry such a creep mm-hmm. that I don't get a chance? He's not even responding in my moment of greatest need. This is unacceptable. I can't stay in a marriage like this. Mm-hmm. So again, what is she going to do with that energy? She yeah. drives to his office. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> a serious pursuer. Serious pursuer, <laughs> right? You are him. You get a 30-second warning from your secretary. Oh, no. Be careful. She's pissed and coming in. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> duck and cover. Where's the only place you can duck and cover? He goes to the bathroom, right? In the bathroom, it gives him some literally space, gives these withdrawers time to think and reset. The most interesting thing is what he does in the bathroom. What does he do? Don't judge it. You, you're, you're good? I'm good. All right. What does he do with his phone? Oh, no. He drops his phone in the toilet bowl. Of course. Because what does that give him? Gives him time. Time and it gives him a good excuse. Right. Right. My phone was broken. That's the only reason I didn't respond back and answer your phone and all these different things. <laughs> right. right. Again, it's pretty ingenious if, 
not and saying it's right to lie to your partner, but it's when people get desperate, they do desperate things. Yeah. The worst thing is what comes for the next six months. Every single day, she tells him. <laughs> Tell did me you, the truth. Did, you, did really? you really? Are you that disturbed that you would actually drop your own phone because you're scared of talking to your wife? If you could just tell me the truth, we can repair this. But if you never tell the truth, oh, no. right? Every single day she says that. What does he say every single day? I did. I promise. It, it's the truth. It's Once the you truth. go down a path, stay on that path. <laughs> Don't veer off that path. <laughs> Don't tell. So uh, again, for me, I just, I laughed hearing that story because it so captures the dynamics in most couples. What are the good reasons why this lady is so flooded with emotion? She's going the whole spectrum from sadness to rage to anger back and fear, all mm-hmm. of these emotions. Yeah. The flip side is how do you understand this man's world? That it's all about performing and getting it right. And there, you know, emotions aren't an area where they have a lot of success. So right. no wonder why they want to avoid them. I think what you captured in that is for the pursuing partner, it's the sin of omission in their partner. It's the not doing often, the not coming forward, the not answering. And and that happens to them repeatedly, right? Because Every time you said she looked at her phone, she felt rejected. And that can happen 20 times in a minute. Right. You know, she's turning her phone over all the time. And so she's feeling that omission. And he's thinking, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. So how are we going to understand this, this guy who's the withdrawer and what he's, why is he doing this? And the first thing I want to mention is there are many different types of withdrawers. There are withdrawers who are very fix or focus or intellectual. They get lost in their mm-hmm. heads. They're sexual withdrawers. They're obedient, kind of wimpy withdrawers. Everything's their fault. There's angry withdrawers. You know, so it's, I don't want to put everyone into a box, but what the general category of withdrawers all have in common is that space and distance is their friend. It gives them a chance to reset, to think, to calm down. You know, it's staying in emotions that they don't have a lot of success in, that their experience when they stay, things get worse. They don't like who they become. They don't like who their partner becomes. So that space, we really need to recognize. They're, they're not taking that space to piss their partner off. They're taking that space to make themselves feel safer. For most withdrawers, usually when things calm down, they'll come back out again. Right. They want to collect their thoughts. Yep. So that what they do put out there is calm and rational, and they're not angry. They're not. They don't want to blow their partner away, and so oftentimes they're they're pulling back. Going away avoids escalation. It gives them a sense of control. They feel safer. They're not going to keep enabling this bad behavior. You know, and they have they have a fantasy, right? That if they go away long enough, their partner's going to forget the issue. And it's just going to blow over. Well, I love how you said the word fantasy coming from a pursuer, (laughs) right? Because that's actually the way it works for withdrawers, that the going away, when they go away, they hope things are going to calm down. And for them, it does. They have that same hope for their partner. That's the setup here. Their partner doesn't calm down when they go away. Their partner actually escalates. But what they're hoping for doesn't really feel like a fantasy because it's their reality. Mm -hmm. Things do calm down when you gain distance in space. Mm -hmm. For them. For them. So they're only trying to love their partner the way they've learned to love themselves. Mm -hmm. They're giving them space. Right. So again, I think it's so important for pursuers to start recognizing. You take it a little bit less personal when you start recognizing this stuff has worked for them. That's the reason they do it. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a function to the withdrawal, right? If you can start off connecting to that, for, for me, if we didn't learn how to turn off our emotions and stay calm and cool under pressure, we wouldn't be here as a species. This is so adaptive. When I was crawling into a fire, I did not want the firefighter next to me saying, George, I'm scared and it's hot. You oh, know, gosh, you know yeah. this. we love yeah. this vulnerability stuff. And I, you know, the goal isn't to turn withdrawers into pursuers. The goal is to help withdrawers become more flexible. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I turn off my feelings when that's adaptive? And I learn to turn them back on when it feels safe in the intimacy of my own relationships. Yeah, both places. We, we want them to be able to come forward when it's the right thing to do, and it's going to help them. But of course, we sometimes need to turn off our emotions, right? When we're in danger, when there is a task at hand, it is important. Okay, let's come right back for play couples and sex therapy. Hey, I want to let you guys know all about George. He's written and contributed to several books, and I'd especially like to draw your attention to his book, Sacred Stress, a radically different approach to using life's challenges for positive change. His book is about a mission on how you adopt new strategies and turn stresses into a positive force in your life. And who among us doesn't live with a lot of stress these days? We'll keep you posted as to all he's doing. But George and other EFT therapists all around the country and the world hold couples retreats called Hold Me Tight, which is developed by Sue Johnson, and it helps secure your own relationship. If you'd like therapy with George, find him at georgefowler.com. So we're back, and George, I'd love to have you talk a little bit further about what are the moves that these withdrawers make and what's the classic stuff that they do, and how do we help them stop doing that? Easy, easy. (laughs) Especially if we're married to them. So, again, we're always starting with the adaptive part, Mm -hmm. that when it's necessary, if somebody's going to come in and you hear gunshots outside, you're going to want that calm part of me that's going to head towards the threat instead of running away. Mm -hmm. And because there's such training, if we go back to the root of, if you look at children, how do they develop more of this avoidant attachment style? is when people don't respond. So if you don't pick a baby up who's right. crying, that baby will start to learn how to self-soothe itself. Exactly. I, I talk about that there's two kinds of people. There's good babies and crying babies. And good babies don't have enough response. And so oftentimes, rather than crying their little heads off, they gurgle and coo and just hope that somebody will respond. But I, I think it's a price Right, they give up something in terms of relational hope. It's a huge price, right? But that's part two of the equation is trying to get withdrawers to see. So again, you're pushing, right? Trying to get to see the costs. <laughs> we do know that self-soothing is nowhere near as effective or efficient as co-regulation, right? Turning towards somebody else to kind of join nervous system. So when a baby cries and its parent picks it up, that ba- parent can calm in seconds what it's going to take that baby to do on its own for maybe sure. 20 minutes. Sure. Right? So that natural state is co-regulation. But we, it's that dance between we need to know how to do relationships well and how to differentiate and kind of do our own world. 
which draws just over-rely on that self-regulation, mm-hmm. right? And because of that, they're going to have classic moves. They're going to use humor as try- a way of relieving stress. They're going to use anger to push their partner away. They're going to focus on the positive. They're going to intellectualize. I-, I love that one, when they focus on the positive. Let's just let's – not, let's not <laughs> – Think about all this hard stuff, right? Let's right. just move forward. Let's just agree to disagree. Especially after an affair. You know, let's well, That's you know, a little bit. Just, that's a little let's harder. Let's just move forward. Right? But it, it, yeah, let's use little examples. Okay. Right? It, you thought last night's dinner sucked. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. There's no reason fighting over it. I'll just agree with you and let's, oh, let's agree to disagree. Instead, mm-hmm. let's focus on a movie we're going to see. Let's mm-hmm. enjoy each other's company. If I can get you to join me in the positive mm-hmm. emotion, the threat is reduced. Yeah. Unfortunately, a pursuer sees that as me not being interested, not caring, and it just not escalates, listening. not listening, right. right? So again, we're just trying to understand the good reasons why people see the world the way they do. You know, what's so sad is, like I can look at my own example growing up. I remember striking out a few times, and it's, I was like seven years old in baseball. Mm. And I was, my dad was watching me, and I was sad. And, and I remember my dad seeing me crying and telling me, if, I, if you keep crying, I will give you something to cry about. Mm. Right? Mm. I learned to turn off my tears. Mm-hmm. Right? That was very adaptive when I learned to run into buildings or you know, run into gunfights or things like that to turn off your fears. The problem is when I get married, now I see my wife's tears. What do you think that does to me? It shuts you down. It shuts me down because I see that as bad and as weak. So the good news here is it's never too late for withdrawers to start trying to put words to these places that still are being triggered. They just don't have words. It's not their fault. They're not trying to withhold them from their partner. They just don't really know how to talk about them. Mm-hmm. So, so much of what we're trying to do is make withdrawers feel safe to start really kind of looking inward. The description a lot of withdrawers will use is it feels like a relationship's a minefield. Right. And the worst thing about a minefield, it's not even stepping on the mind. It's not knowing when it's going to yeah. happen. Because you're in constant tension. You're constant scanning. Mm-hmm. And if you're scanning your environment, Anxious. you're trying to perform and get it right and anticipate what your partner needs. All your focus is outside of you. And then the pursuer wants to know what you feel to withdraw, and they don't know because that's not where their focus is. I want to tell you what you want to hear because I want to perform. I want you to be happy, happy wife, happy life. That's so often the mindset. Right. So, you know, to ask withdrawers about their own emotional world, they often don't have the words to speak about it. So what we're trying to do is to help them, meet them. What's it like to not know how to fix something? Yeah, terrible. Again. Especially if you're a man and you're used to fixing stuff. And look at the word you use, terrible. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a good pursuer word, right? <laughs> a, a nicer withdrawal word, but that must be hard. Yeah. Right? That must be challenging. Mm-hmm. We don't want a lot of emotion in our words. We don't want to make it more dramatic than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So yes, if I'm a fixer and I don't know how to fix it, that's a hard place for me to be. Yeah. Most areas of my life, I'm good at it. And this really important area, I'm not really sure what to do. You're right. <laughs> it's not terrible. It it's is just terrible. Hard. It's it is. Just t- hard. We're, we're gonna lead them to terrible, but you, we can't come right out of the gate with terrible. <laughs> when you start recognizing that if you're constantly, it's almost like spidey senses. If you're constantly scanning for threat and you're always focused on the defense, 
There's not a lot of room for your own needs or, mm-hmm. you know, the offense. And that's why with drawers, when you ask them what do they need, they'll say, oh, less fighting. Uh, they don't really know how to put words to their longings. They're trying to give you the right answer. They're trying to give you the right answer. Yeah. Right? And how sad is that? I have two sons mm-hmm. that I'm really trying to get them to be able to kind of see that as a strength that they could know their inner world. Mm-hmm. That that just gives them, for me, the secret to all relationships is based on the quality of engagement. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know parts of who you are, you're putting all this energy into hiding parts of yourself, there's not that much to engage with. Right, right. Right. So we're trying to get withdrawers to look in a mirror and start recognizing they've been set up to perform. They climb this ladder trying to get to the top and to win and compete. And what they don't recognize is even when they get there, the ladder doesn't lead anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right, that they, they, they find there's it sets up distance in their relationships. There's and something distance, empty, right? right? Distance in their own inner world, which is often the midlife crisis, right? They've gotten there, right, and then their relationship is empty, and they don't know what to do with it. Particularly men, but also women are withdrawers as well. But sometimes at midlife, it turns around and they say, "Hey, I need to catch up here. Right, I need to learn relationship." Yeah, and just to let your heart be impacted by, like, what are their choices? What would you, each day you face this choice, go away from a fight, which is what makes you feel safe. But what does that do to your partner? Yeah, your partner is going to feel abandoned. Right, and, and tell left. you you're failing. And you, the last thing you want to do is fail your partner. So they don't want to go away. It just shows you how bad it is to actually stay in it. What is it about the escalating emotion that really makes withdrawers feel so kind of helpless, so so much like they're failing that they'll choose actually the failure itself than to stay in the mm-hmm. in the environment of that, mm-hmm. right? And then who sees that? The moment I'm always trying to get withdrawers to put words to is that moment right when they retreat. Mm-hmm. Why are they retreating? Mm-hmm. Why are they shutting down? Because their their attempts to fix, to stay engaged are not working. They feel like they're failing. They feel helpless. When you understand emotions, it's their moment of greatest need and nobody's even seeing it. Mm-hmm. That's the moment. That's the moment. Mm-hmm. Everybody's focused on the pursuing, the words and the tears and a big emotion. And the withdrawers don't know how to show their emotion on the inside. There's a lot going on and nobody even helps them put words to it. Yeah. So for me, it's really simple. If you want withdrawers to engage more, they have to have success when they're doing emotions. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Slow that down. So, okay, let's... If for we for want our them, listeners, they're going to write this one down. This okay, is the, write the this case. down. Write this down. <laughs> <laughs> Wisdom by G. There you go. <laughs> okay, if we want... Say it again. If you want withdrawers to do more emotions, mm-hmm. they have to have success with their emotions. You want them to do more vulnerability, they have to have success when they do vulnerability. Yeah. And like a classic pursuer move is, I, I knew you were feeling all this stuff and you never told me. Right. So, right. Now they, so right when they open up and start talking about it, they're slammed again with not having done it sooner. Exactly. Or the pursuer will top them and say, you know, but what about me? I've been doing <laughs> all so, you know, but whatever it is. <laughs> you if, think you feel like you're failing. This is a math equation for me. Right, yeah. if two plus two equals four, and that always means it's going, it, they don't have success. If we don't change those numbers, they shouldn't actually re-engage emotionally. Right. That's why they need the withdrawers' help. The missing ingredient for withdrawers is success with their feelings. Mm-hmm. If you can help them tap into it, and they can share it, and afterwards they share, like I feel like I was failing, I feel stuck, and the pursuer says, "Oh, I didn't know you felt that way. I'm so sorry." And they get a big hug. If their nervous system feels better after the encounter, they will do more. Withdrawal re engagement. Mm-hmm. 
they will come back to their partner. Their hearts are made for these conversations. Even though they've been trained to put up walls, there's always a part of their heart that knows better, that we do better with these more vulnerable feelings in relationship than alone. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to tap into is more powerful than all the training that they've had that have tried to kind of numb that out. We're trying to tap into what's instinctual, what's human about that co-regulation of actually telling your partner what's going on inside will help them calm down faster exactly. and, and soothe the situation better than this going away. Right. Yeah. Most withdrawers have made a choice, even though it's not conscious. They've made a choice not to feel because when they have felt, it has not worked so well for them. Mm-hmm. They've been left alone. They've kind of blamed themselves. So they... What has worked for them is distancing themselves from those feelings. Mm -hmm. If we want them to change that move, this isn't a choice they're just going to make on their own. They need to have that success with their partner. Right. Okay, so we're going to come back and you're going to teach us just how to do that, how to help them with that, All right. what the partner should do. Sounds like a plan. Speaking with certified sex therapist Lori Watson from Awakening Center for Couples and Intimacy. Lori, what is an intensive? So an intensive is 12 to 14 hours of therapy all in one weekend. And it's a way to really make fast progress compared to weekly therapy. I mean, there's just so much more you can get done when you have a chunk of time. Overcome the challenges in your relationship and your sex life. Learn more about intensives and Awakening Center's other services at awakenloveandsex.com. We're back listening to Foreplay Radio, and we're talking about emotional withdrawing. And so, George, you got to help me here. So, one of the patterns that my husband and I have struggled with is he's the guy who he's a finance guru, and I mean, he does amazing spreadsheets, absolute magic. He's helped me a lot at work trying to figure out what's what and how to think about my income, what to do with it. But in our personal finances, sometimes I'll ask my husband, hey, can we afford X, Y, and Z? And guess what he always says? Yes, sure. No, no, he always says, of course. Of course we can afford that, Lori. Because he wants to make me happy. Right, right. And I'm actually willing to wait. I'm actually checking in for information. And just to know, it's rarely something that I can't wait. I I can wait to spend money. But he wants to make me happy. He wants me to feel like there's abundance and we can do whatever. And so he will tell me yes. And then later on, for instance, the credit card will come due and we won't be able to pay it off all the way or something. And then, of course, I'm angry, like, how did this happen? Well, you spent so much money. Yeah. I know, but I asked you if it was okay. And he said, well, it is okay, you know, and it's okay, blah, blah, blah. Here's the critical question. Okay. Let's hear it. What would happen for your husband if he said, no, it's not okay? So again, the, the thing you want, all our listeners want to do is their partner goes away. That's what they do. But what would happen if they didn't go away? That's the fear. Mm-hmm. That's what drives the going away. Sure. So what, what would happen? What do you think your husband would feel if he would actually have to tell you no, if he would actually disappoint you? What might happen? You know, I I think, obviously, we've lived this one for a while, but I think for him, he would say it would mean he was a failure. 
we, we hadn't made enough money or he right. hadn't made enough money or to, to say no to me would be limiting me in some way. And that, you know, he's afraid I would be unhappy. I would, I would complain. I would feel disappointed. He doesn't want me to be disappointed. Right. So that's the critical miss in that moment, uh-huh. right? That because he wants to avoid those fears being triggered, that he's failing or disappointing you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to feel what that feels like. He wants to just say yes to not feel those things. But in not feeling it, he's also missing the opportunity for what? Any reassurance or comfort he'd get in those places. So the course, which Rose don't often recognize, to protect themselves from the bad, they also miss the opportunity for the good. Sure. Right? So it's hard for you and to see. And you know see. he's going to be listening to this podcast. That's good. George. He's going to pick up some lessons from this. How much free therapy can I get in this thing? Well, well, why I'm saying that is because he deserves to, to be seen emotionally. Absolutely. Right? His fears deserve comfort. He's trying to reassure yours. I mean, that's the. Mm-hmm. I, this is what breaks my heart when you're working with a lot of withdrawers is, you know, one, they've gotten so used to dealing with their own fears and emotions by themselves that they just accept, they resign themselves that that's the best that they have, mm-hmm. right? They just let the storm pass and just deal with it on their own. I mean, I imagine my sons dealing with it, life, their emotions that way, it would just crush me as a dad. Yeah. Right? But part two is even worse. Part two is even despite that, they want to give to their partners what they don't get themselves. That's mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. They want to comfort. He wants you not to feel bad. He don't want you to feel fear or rejection mm-hmm. or hurt. So he wants to give you something he don't get himself. But mm-hmm. the problem with empathy is if I'm going to have to feel your sadness and comfort you in your sadness, I have to be willing to feel what? His sadness. Right. Your own sadness. That's a problem. Right? Because I don't want to feel emotions. I don't want to feel these things. So now I'm also yeah, set up to fail my partner. I, I said it, right? You know, he came from the family where conflict was cold and and there was, you know, not much attunement. There wasn't much caring about yeah. what he was feeling. Right. So what's worse, that he deals with these feelings on his own or that he tries to love you and help you with your feelings and he's set up to fail with that because he's not really sure how that we know how to receive love in our vulnerability we learn how to give it by receiving it first, mm-hmm. right? So if we look at it, it's a great example. It's a little tiny example, but it happens millions and millions of times. Mm-hmm. We don't even see his fear. Mm-hmm. We don't even see his triggers, and therefore it never gets connected. How different would it be if he could say to you, hey, Lori, you know, I'm not really sure, but I'm afraid to tell you that because I don't want to disappoint you because that sends me to a dark place where yeah. I start thinking I'm not the man you'd want because I haven't I- provided for you. Oh, you're making me cry. Well, yeah. yeah. Would, the, I mean, it's true. It's, it's absolutely true. He, you know, he can't ever receive from me if he never reassurance asked. because it, he, he's not there. He doesn't want to feel that. He probably goes past that so quickly, right, to do the thing that he thinks is the right thing to do right. to make your wife happy, that he doesn't receive that part that is so important and never received, I would say. Because you know, I know his history. Exactly. We have a nice saying in EFT, no risky, no getty, right? If you don't let people in, you might avoid some bad things, but you'll never get the healing that you deserve to have. So my, I, I'm rooting for your husband to be seen in those moments because there is a better way. The science and research is crystal clear on this. There's a better way to deal with his feelings but than just hiding it in that situation. If you're going towards battle, great. You need to hide those feelings. But when you're doing it with your own relationship, with your own partner, there's a better way. So help me, you know, pursuing person here. How do we help 
our withdrawing partner because honestly, if I say to him, are you sure? Are you sure we have enough money? That sounds critical. That sounds nagging. That sounds like I'm doubting him when, when what he really wants is for me to, my confidence. It's, it's sometimes I think as a pursuing partner, it feels like a double bind. You know, right. you, you can't do anything right. Well, I think it's it's really helpful once you start knowing more of his world to mm-hmm. speak explicitly to that. So mm-hmm. for you to say, hey, listen, I know this is hard to talk about because mm-hmm. your default set wants to avoid these conversations. Mm-hmm. But I'm really hoping that, you know, that you're not left unseen in these places too. So I'm going to ask you some of these questions. And, you know, the, what is the goal of it? It's success in his vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So if you keep that, if you start off taking it less personal. It's, it's not a question about the money. I right. mean, it's every conversation has to be somewhere in our minds about intimacy and building something between us. Because once that's built, we can make any decision. So you're, you're right. I can predict essentially to him as I ask that question about what I imagine he's going through in a gentle, soft way. I think the starting point is that reframe for you is saying it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he cares so much, Mm -hmm. right? He's willing to hide his own feelings to try to make sure he performs well for you, Mm -hmm. right? If you can take it a little less personal, it's a lot easier for the safe, the, the space to feel safer for him. Exactly. Part two is then to be proactive and saying, all right, now let me give him a taste of success with his feelings. Let me keep the focus on him. Because every time I return the focus on me, I run the risk that he's going to feel like he's failing. Mm-hmm. But if I can keep my eyes locked on him, my curiosity, open up my heart to say, who is this man? Why is it so difficult? I know that's not my truth, but why is it so hard for him to worry about failing me? I want to understand who he is so he can share that place with me and he could have a little bit of success doing that. I love that. I, I totally love that. I, your example about the couple who is hurry-scurrying around their life, they don't have much time. I think so much of our lives, we feel like we have to make expedient decisions. We have to just know what to do. And we don't slow it down enough to build the marriage, to build the foundation so that all our decisions can be made more easily because this is this is it. This is the heart of the matter. I, I know that my husband listening is going to really like you, George. And then this is the good news. <laughs> this is the good news for the withdrawers and the pursuers. You get a chance to give your husband this success that no one gives him. Mm-hmm. There's no one more special than you in their lives to train their bodies that there's a better way of doing this. They're not going to lose the ability to turn it off when they need. They're just going to become more flexible. But in these moments where they start to have success, why would they do, when I get withdrawers to start engaging, they don't shut up. They got years of makeup to do. That's the Absolutely. good news here, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen that too. That's great. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for well, helping let me, me. Let me add one last thing just in closing for these withdrawers because this is the counterintuitive. But the cure, this is what Rumi said hundreds of years ago. Right? The cure for the pain lies in the pain. If we hide these places from ourselves and our partner, we'll never get help in them. But if we have the courage to kind of tap into them when it's safe and our partner can focus on us, then our partner's responsiveness to us really makes the world a lot safer place, Mm -hmm. which opens up a whole flourishing of energy for these withdrawers to engage and have much more vitality in their lives. Say it again. Say it with me again. The cure for the pain lies in the pain. 
you got to head towards the places that for good reasons you've avoided. Mm -hmm. In the past, you haven't had success, but that doesn't mean success isn't coming for you in the future. Mm. Thanks for listening for Play Couples and Sex Therapy. Hi, Foreplay fam. The biggest support you can give us is sharing our podcast with a friend. You can find us also on socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we'd love your questions and feedback and really do use these to guide our show. We'd also love it if you'd rate and review us. If you're interested in learning more about us and our mission, look us up on our hot new website, foreplayradiosextherapy.com. Call in your questions to the Foreplay Question voicemail. Dial 833-MY-4PLAY. That's 833, the number 4, PLAY. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor. 